Hello, Bethel fandom! It is I, your host, Sunny, aka Dynamic Symmetry, on Tumblr and Twitter and many other places. I'm not dead. I swear to fucking god, I'm not dead. I know, it's been so long. I'm so sorry, guys. I thought that I was going to be able to keep to the schedule I initially set, and then some stuff threw me off. And then more stuff threw me off. I got kind of a lot going on right now in terms of juggling projects. I think I'm starting to get it under control, but I've also taken on a couple of new ones because I gotta pay the bills somehow, and I'm still kind of figuring out how do I balance all of this shit. I'm thinking I'm probably gonna be able to get back to a semi-regular schedule, but we're s we'll, but we'll see. I have to line up some interviews, I have to do a little planning regarding how I'm going to handle the reading series episodes from now on, which I will talk about in a second. I just want to let you know, uh, one of the things that caused this delay is that I have also been really trying to get that other podcast that I'm working on off the ground. Uh, just a reminder, I have another podcast. Uh, it's called Gone. It's a serial horror fiction podcast. Uh, somebody described it on Twitter as kind of Alice Isn't Dead meets Linetown. I, I think in terms of plot and premise, that's pretty correct. Uh, budget considerably lower and one person doing everything. But I, I think that, yeah, in, in, terms of, in terms of what's actually going on in it, Alice Isn't Dead and Linetown is, is a really good way of thinking about it. So if you like either of those podcasts, uh, you might like this one. Uh, I just posted episode 4 yesterday. I'm really pleased with how it's going so far. Uh, judging by the reviews on iTunes, a lot of people who are listening to it are fairly pleased. If you're listening to it and you're enjoying it, or if you start listening to it and you're enjoying it, please, 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 I cannot fucking emphasize enough how great it is when people do this. Leave a rating slash a review on iTunes. Like, that is the one thing that determines how visible podcasts are, and I don't have any budget for advertising. So that means a lot in terms of how many people actually listen to it, and I want more people to listen to my fucking podcast, because I want it to be successful. Clearly. You can, if you are not aware of this, access it via iTunes. Just search for Gone. You have to scroll over a little bit, but I swear to God it's there. Uh, you can also find it on Stitcher. And the main website is on Podbean, so it's gonepodcast.podbean.com. And that leads me into the other reason, or at least another reason, why uh, the delay between the last episode and this one. I finally managed to complete the switchover between SoundCloud and Podbean. So we're now on Podbean. No more SoundCloud. All the files are still on SoundCloud, but I'm not updating there anymore. If you're listening to this, you probably know that already. Uh, far as I'm aware, everybody should still be able to access it on iTunes without any problem. So that's cool. I'm actually going to try and get it on Stitcher as well. Just because, you know, why fucking not? Anyway, yes. The switch has been made. Everything seems fine. So you can now find it at keepsinging.podbean.com. Head over there. Check it out. I am very pleased with Podbean so far. I think it's working really great. Still ironing out a few little kinks in terms of understanding how the hell it works. But uh, yeah. Yeah, it's cool. Uh, if you're looking to start podcasting, I recommend it. Little more housekeeping, this time in terms of format. I, I've been sort of... It's not that I think that what I'm doing now isn't working. I really like the two serial fix plus a one-shot thing. But here's the thing I'm running into. It seems like most of you guys actually 
actually write multi-chapter or really, really follow multi-chapter in a big way, which is awesome. But it does mean that I am starting to run out of one-shots that I feel like I can read. Now, I am slightly constrained by a couple of things. I tend to steer clear of porn, which is kind of ridiculous. But, you know, I tend to steer clear of porn, uh, except for, you know, stuff that's sort of unavoidable, very pleasantly, which I'll get to in a minute. I do like to keep this relatively safe for mass consumption in lots of different settings. I, I probably shouldn't care about that. Probably a lot of you are listening to this on earbuds, so it probably doesn't fucking matter. But I I tend to like to do M-rated slash teen-rated slash G-rated one-shots where possible. So that constrains me a bit, because, you know, we love our porn. And the other thing that constrains me a bit is uh, I tend to steer clear of AUs. That's a personal preference thing. Um, I'm not really so much of an AU person. I really, really like stuff that's set in-universe. Uh, even if it's, you know, severe canon divergence. Which I know is ridiculous because I I write a lot of AUs. But a, a lot of the stuff that you guys write is uh, non-zombie universe AUs. I want to try to do more of that. I want to try and get over my personal preference thing because, you know what, I'm not just doing this for me. I'm also doing it for you guys and I do want to do stuff that you guys like. So I'm going to try and get over that and do more of those. What I am seriously considering doing, though, and I'm not 100% set on this, so please, if you have any opinion about this either way, please let me know. Uh, Send me an ask on Tumblr, send me a message, uh, email me, comment on this on the Podbean site, whatever the fuck. Just let me know if you have any opinion on this. I am thinking pretty seriously about moving to three different multi-chapter fix, uh, chapter per episode, like I've been doing with Burn and Safe Up Here With You. And then doing one-shots as kind of little individual mini-episodes, like I've done for some other things. You know, I've done a couple for Ebelina's stuff, I've, I've done some for Molly. And I really like doing those because they're like little compact nuggets of thick goodness that take relatively little work. Whereas the reading series episodes take a massive amount of work. Like, depending, but I, I put a lot of work into those and a lot of editing goes into them and I really, really care about getting them right. So it's not that doing this would necessarily make the reading series episodes easier, but I'm just, I'm I'm thinking that this might be a better format in some ways. It might not be. I'm still toying with the idea. Um, Part of it, to be perfectly fucking honest, is that I still suck at reading stuff, and I suck even more at reading multi-chapter stuff. So for me personally, I feel like this might be an added inducement to actually read some shit that I either have not kept up with or haven't read before. Like, I was always going to read Burn, but I honestly don't know how long it would have taken me to get to Burn if I hadn't been like, all right, fuck it, I'm going to read Burn. And I'm so glad I did that because Burn is fucking amazing. But I, again, I'm not sure how long it would have taken me if I hadn't gone ahead and done it this way. So... I have some multi-chapter things that I'm considering if I do this. I will let you guys know. I think by the next reading series episode, I will have nailed down what I want to do. But again, like, this is not dependent entirely on what I want to do. I really want to know what you guys want. I care so much about making this a good experience for you. It's a lot of fun for me. If it wasn't fun for me, I wouldn't do it. But I love this fandom, I love you guys, and I really want to make this special and fun for you. So please let me know if you have any opinion regarding how any of this works, and I will take it into very serious consideration. I I am 
so on the fence about this. I'm not leaning heavily in any direction. Okay, shut up about that. I'm going to get to a quick content warning. Um, one of the reasons why it took me so fucking long to make this episode is that this is the burn porn chapter and it's long. It's so long. And one of the reasons why that meant that I took a very long time is that, I mean, structurally, there's no way to break that up. And, you know, not to, not to make things uncomfortable here, but, you know, porn sequences, scenes, whatever, have a rhythm. And it's not good to break the rhythm. It's a little bit of interruptus, if you know what I mean. And so I, I really wanted to just read it straight through from the beginning to the end. It is de-fucking-lightful. Oh my god, it's so great. And I, I, I did what I, you know, have been doing with the rest of Burn, and I went ahead and read it, like, cold. I skimmed ahead enough to know that it was all porn, and I couldn't break it up into two different episodes. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, whew. So be aware of that. Um, if you usually listen to this on earbuds, good. You're cool. Keep doing that. If you don't, you might want to seriously consider either listening to this in a place where nobody else is, where people are, but you know they don't give a shit about porn, or on earbuds. Because it's just E-rated from here to Sunday. I'm back. It's so good. Oh my god, it's one of the hottest things I've ever read. I, I, I could I could go on and on and on about how perfect it is and how much I love it, but just know that I love it and it was so great to do and I'm so happy about it. And again, I'm just upset that it took me so long to get it done. Uh, safe up here with you. It's so, actually, it's so funny that these two fics are juxtaposed in the way that they are because Burn is like smutty and sweet and it's so awkward and it's so perfect and it's so them and it's so happy. And then safe up here with you is like, yeah, it's like if you ran all the way to the other end of the spectrum. Like these, these two fics are complete mismatches. I mean, they kind of were already, but good lord. Uh, there is no super intense violence in this episode of safe up here with you. Um, there is no super intense sexual content. It's uh, given, you know, the rest of the fic, it's actually pretty tame, but it's very, very depressing. I don't know if that counts as a content warning, but there it is for you. So yeah. And then the final fic that I'm reading is a one shot by Ambrosia29, writer, lover, psychopomp on Tumblr called The Moments Between. Uh, it's just short and really kind of angsty, but it's also got a really sweet, happy ending, and I thought that it was sort of a good midpoint thing to end on. A good note. Uh, not that there is necessarily a way to gracefully bring all of these things together thematically, but I, I think I did the best I could. I hope you enjoy it. I certainly enjoyed reading it. it. It was a lot of fun. And it's actually the first thing I've read aloud from this author, which was also kind of fun. It's, it's always good to come to a new author and see kind of what the mouthfeel is, if you know what I mean. And like I've said before, uh, what I do in terms of picking fix is not just about how good they are. It's about what I feel like the mouthfeel is going to be. Because that is in my mouth. It's got to feel good in my mouth, if you know what I mean. That sounded really dirty. Well, you know, this episode is, yeah, so that, that completely fits. All right, I, I swear to God, I'm going to shut up in just a second, but I want to go ahead and beg you guys for money. I want to go to the money zone. Like I said last time I talked to you, uh, 
my supporters on Patreon and the donations I get via PayPal, they made that transition possible. They made it possible for me to leave SoundCloud and go to Podbean, which is a much more stable platform and, you know, isn't going to, like, close its doors imminently because it's not hemorrhaging money. I was able to make that switch without it cutting into my bank account because of you guys. And that was so important and it meant so much to me. So, I like, I want you to know that the donations, they matter. Like, a dollar here and there really matters. And it matters in a practical sense in terms of my ability to keep this going and to keep it going in a way that I think is worthy of it. So if you want to add your name to the honor roll of people who are helping me out in that material way, uh, you can do so on my Patreon. If you go to my Tumblr, there is a link to my Patreon on the top. If you go to keepsinging.podbean.com, there is also a link to my Patreon there. And there is finally a donate button on the Podbean site. And that takes you to the PayPal thing I'm using. And you go ahead and, you know, send me whatever you want via PayPal. Again, a dollar or two just is, makes an unbelievable difference. It really does add up. Uh, you, <laughs> a point that amuses me and will probably amuse absolutely no one else. Um, you might notice, I think you see it, if you click on the PayPal thing, it takes you to a thing called Hot Rock Pile. Um, Hot Rock Pile is the joke production company name that I came up for, for Gone. If you know anything about geology, you know, Sunny Moraine, Hot Rock Pile. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's not, it's not a good joke. Okay, okay, I'm done, I'm done, I'm done. We're gonna get to burn. So happy porn. And then we're going to get to safe up here with you. So like the polar opposite of happy porn. Misery and madness and horror. And then we're going to close out with a nice sweet little thing that fits very, very happily in between. And I, I think, again, is a lovely note to end on. So yeah, I really hope you enjoy the rest of this episode. See you on the flip side. Burn by the Vampire Cat Chapter 7 Hallelujah He's looking everywhere but at her Anywhere but her flesh And she finds that endearing Endearing and a little frightening He's biting his lip too Scraping his teeth over the meat of it Sucking it loosely into his mouth And popping it out again And she wants to tell him it's okay But she doesn't because she's the one standing here, covered by nothing but a thin pair of pale pink panties and a dangling cross. And she's the one with the pebbled nipples and the prickled skin flushed red with desire. The one weak at the knees with a lump in her throat and a pounding in her chest. She's the one being brave, being desperate, being vulnerable. But when she steps closer, closer so that her lips are inches from his neck, and she can see his pulse jumping under his skin and feel the fear in his blood. His hands close around her waist and his thumbs, big and rough, drag circles over her hips while his fingers press hard and heavy against her back. And when she looks up, there's worry in his eyes and she thinks that maybe, just maybe, they're mirroring hers. And when she sees the raw lust, the want, the need, the begging, she knows they are. It's been long. It's been so very long. An image of Zack comes to her. Zack mouthing at her knee. Zack laughing at the strawberry-shaped birthmark on the back of her neck. Zack and the way he told her she was beautiful. Zack, Zack, Zack. 
and she feels bad, bad because she shouldn't be thinking of him while she's here with another man, bad because this is nothing like those times with Zack, bad because, well, she's waited months for this. She's waited her whole life for Daryl. She knows now there could never be anyone else. It ain't even a question. And she wonders how he'll be. If he'll be soft and gentle like he was the first night, or forceful and demanding like he was the cold morning she wrapped her legs around him in the hall and he shoved himself against her, his hand rough at her breast. She kisses him first. She has to, because she can't stand the stretched silence, can't ignore the tight bubble in her chest that threatens to choke her. She's gentle, light. It would even be chaste if she weren't standing here loose-limbed, flesh-bared, heat gathering between her legs. They've kissed before, fiercer and harder than this, but even so, he sucks in his breath and his hands tighten hard enough to bruise. And she can smell him, leather, the hint of cigarette smoke, even though it's been months since he lit up, and something else, something decidedly male, something decidedly him. And she loves it because it makes her feel safe, and she loves it because it also makes her feel vulnerable. And she loves the blue of his eyes, the scruff of his chin, his heartbeat against her breast. And she loves the way he's looking into her eyes, like she's the only thing in the world, the only thing worth looking at, the way he's always looked at her. Was there even time before the prison fell? She can't remember. She doesn't think there was. And she kisses him again, still chaste, still gentle, and this time his lips soften on hers, and the rub of his thumbs quickens. And she wonders what he's thinking when she eventually pulls away to catch her breath, if he's also remembering that night he nearly took her up against the wall, or maybe the first night on the couch when she was disappointed he didn't. Or maybe he's thinking of last night, and all the nights before, when they caress and touch each other silently, and pretend that it's all erased in the morning light. And then he draws her closer, the slight increase of pressure on her hips enough to make her gasp, and he puts his mouth on hers, still gentle, still quick, as if he's testing her, checking to see that this is what she means, what she wants. And a laugh bubbles inside her, because she's standing here almost naked, but he's still unsure, after everything. After all those nights, after all those whispered secrets, after the funeral home, after, oh. And his kisses are soft, and his mouth is warm, and she knows he's scared out of his mind, and she is too. When she steps backwards, half onto the pillows, half onto the floor, he lets go immediately and looks down, not at her face, not her breasts, not her skin, but at his boots, the pillows, the puppy sleeping in the corner, a naughty child caught peeping. Bad boy. Bad dog. And she takes a breath and says his name, and his eyes snap from the floor to her face so fast that she thinks he's trying to miss out all the bits in between. Daryl, she whispers. Daryl, look at me. He opens his mouth, closes it again, mimics the gesture in his hands. Look at me. Don't you think that's beautiful? She needs this. She can't explain why, but she does. She needs him to see, to know, to decide. He says her name and his voice is strained, choked. You don't have to, but she does. She really, really does. 
She takes his hand, noticing how hard he's concentrating to keep his eyes on her face, but his gaze is still not dropped to her chest, her flesh. I know, she tells him, voice dropped to a low whisper. I want to. She kisses his hand. Was that too forward? And then places it, warm, rough, calloused, on her breast. That was definitely too forward. She's not sure where this confidence is coming from, why it's chosen now to be this reckless, but it's like a roar in her head, an ache between her legs, a yearning that she knows she's powerless against. And she knows he feels it too, can still remember the way her blood sang when he wrapped her legs around him in the hall, and she felt hard need between them. It's okay, she says, and her voice is calm as his fingers spasm against her. It almost seems involuntary until she feels his thumb swipe across her skin over her hard nipple. Look at me. And he does. And his hand stutters at his side, and he bites his lips so hard that when she leans in and kisses him again, he tastes like blood. Blood and need and sweat. And then he opens his mouth to her, to the wet stroke of her tongue, as her hands fist in his hair and she tastes him, tastes him like he's tasted her. And he's warm and wet and heady, and his kiss is a little sloppy, a little awkward. He groans when her hands drop to brush his chest, those hard collarbones she can't seem to stop touching, fingers running gentle trails over his shoulders, down his arms, over his knuckles, and then all the way up to his neck again to pull him closer, to kiss him harder, deeper. His hand contracts on her breast again. Briefly, his tongue is forceful, demanding in her mouth, desperate. And then, in the same movement, he goes still, pulling back, breathing raggedly. She stops and looks at him like she did earlier, earlier when she didn't know the taste of his mouth, the roughness of his hand. Okay, he rumbles, more to himself than to her, and it sounds like he's giving himself permission. He says it again and seems more confident. She nods, short and sharp, like she knows what just happened. He nods too, like they have an agreement. His hand leaves her breast, travels to her face, cups her cheek. She thinks he'll kiss her lips, but he brings his mouth to her neck instead, breathing in deeply, and she can't decide if he's being bold or shy as he plants clumsy, nervous kisses across her pale skin. She didn't expect this. She doesn't know why not. When Beth was thirteen, Maggie told her that she had a male-centric view of sex. She can't remember why. She knows they were sitting in Maggie's bedroom during summer break, trying on vampy makeup and high heels, the type their father would never let them wear, and whispering about boys. She didn't understand at the time. She thought Maggie was just trying to be all worldly and educated, showing off her newfound college wisdom by trying to make her little sister feel stupid and naive. But now those words, male-centric, come back to her, back to her as Daryl's graceless kisses burn her skin, as his awkward touches make her gasp. Maggie's explanation was kind of weird, wrote in a Seventeen magazine kind of way. Make sure he's good to you. You have needs, too. His finish doesn't necessitate yours nor the end of the experience. Angry, she told Maggie to be quiet, that she didn't want to know about the dumb stuff she learned at dumb college, and she stormed out, as much as anyone can storm in kitten heels, face covered in black eyeliner and carmine lipstick. God's honest truth, she was mortified at having this conversation with her sister. Mortified that Maggie was obviously telling her she was no longer a virgin. Mortified that Maggie even wanted to talk about this beyond the ins and outs of straightforward reproduction. 
She was so young, so childish, but now a part of her wishes they'd spoken a little more, wishes they'd spoken more frankly about men and sex, and about how it's not all babies for girls and orgasms for boys. But only a small part. The problem is, though, she's not sure it would have helped because she's not thinking about this in terms of sex or fucking or making love. Maybe because this seems bigger than a roll in the hay. Clandestine kisses behind her daddy's barn at the farm. A whispered sign, a drafty prison with a doomed man. It's about relief and release. About putting old lives to bed. About accepting this thing that started burning between them outside a cabin from the past a million years ago. Maybe she's making it into something bigger than it is, but she doesn't think so. Regardless, right now, in her mind, the whole idea of needs, pleasure, getting off, is secondary. A byproduct of something else. Something bigger. He strokes her neck lightly with his fingertips. Apparently, he didn't get the memo. He's like a boy in love, and this is what he wants for her. Either that, or he's more experienced than she thought, that unconscious deafness of hand and mouth she noticed that first night, surprising her again. But she doesn't think so. Daryl Dixon ain't no Casanova. And yet, he's touching her, soft and slow, planting staccato kisses on her skin, watching how her milky flesh flushes and pebbles under his rough hands, testing, learning, nervous and slow, but oh, so eager to please. It surprises her. He might not be whipping out the candles and scattering the room with rose petals. There's no cheesy smooth jazz in the background, no champagne. He isn't worshipping her like the hero in some bad romance novel. Maybe that will come later, when they're both sweeter, when they have a moment to catch their breath, to get clean before getting dirty. Maybe that won't come at all, and they'll be dead before dawn. There's another moment of hesitation when she takes his hand and pulls him down onto the pillows. But he follows, kicking his boots off and kneeling in front of her, the firelight catching the shine of his eyes and rippling patterns over her naked flesh. She wonders what he sees, a woman with small breasts and narrow hips, too few curves and skinny legs. She wonders what kind of woman he's had before, if they were prettier, curvier, more experienced, and less broken. She wonders if he's hoping for rougher, faster, if he'd prefer her on her knees. But that's the crazy part of her mind. Crazy, because this is Daryl. And she knows him, knows how he holds her and touches her, even when his hands are hard on her and she's biting at his lips. How he cares for her. And yes, she can say it, even if he can't. How he loves her. He reaches out, thumbs her shoulder, and his hand is tan and rough against her skin. And she closes her eyes as he pushes her down into the pillows, so that he's looming above her in the semi-darkness. He's tender, or at least he tries to be as he moves over her, mouthing at her neck, kissing her small breasts shyly, tentatively, before planting his elbows on either side of her head and kissing her lips. His kisses are deliberate, wary even, but hungry, his need and urgency betrayed by the open-mouthed way he embraces her. He kisses her for a long time, at least hours, maybe days, more than likely it's decades. So long, she wonders if this is enough for him if the taste of her tongue is all he needs, as if it would satisfy him. Well, it wouldn't satisfy her, no matter how much of a gentleman he's trying to be now, no matter how he's trying to shift his weight on her so as not to let her feel the bulge of his cock against her thigh. She just beneath him, parting her legs so that he has to move to the space between them. 
so that he has to press down against the heat at the apex of her thighs. You sure? His voice is a rumble next to her ear. She kisses him, hopes that is answer enough. It is, because he kisses her back, drawing her tongue into his mouth, licking across her teeth, and she thinks she'll go out of her mind with how much she wants this, with how hard she's concentrating on not rocking her hips against his, on not reaching between them to grab where he's hard and hot. Instead, she keeps her hands firm on his back, nails digging into the scars she knows are already there. She thinks for a moment she'll make new ones, new ones to cover the old. She wonders if her scars will heal his, if he'll let them. He heaves a little on top of her, and even though she can't see him all that well in the semi-darkness, she knows he has that old, spooked look. The one that says, I love you and get the fuck away from me, at the same time. She chooses not to see that last part. His breathing is uneven as his hands tangle in her hair. I... I don't want to hurt you, he whispers, pulling away slightly. And he's only half talking about what they're doing here and now. And she loves him for it. Loves him for the tenderness he shows her. Loves him for the guileless way he touches her. The sweetness and the bitterness of him. Then don't, she answers. Then don't hurt me. He watches her for a moment, and even though his face is mostly shadows, she starts to feel uncomfortable under the scrutiny. Be selfish, Daryl, she tells him, and his eyes widen. And suddenly she can't stand any more of his wary kisses. She grabs his hair. It's a little greasy, but she doesn't care as she kisses him fiercely, hands snaking between them to loosen his belt where it digs into the tender flesh of her belly. He groans as her hand brushes the hard planes of his stomach, muscles tough, body taut, skin smooth and scarred by the world he lives in now and before. She whispers a curse against his mouth as his shaking fingers find their way across her hip, along the crease of her thigh, ghosting across the damp fabric of her underwear so lightly she wants to scream. She swears again as he moves his hand away. He grins awkwardly, attempts a joke. Kiss your mother with that mouth. A vision of her dead mother, rotted, decayed, stinking of maggots and putrefied flesh, grabbing at her arms, yellow teeth snapping, biting, devouring, comes to her. It's agonizing and almost immediately followed by the sight of her father on his knees, blood spurting from his neck as his corpse collapses into the sandy grass. She stills, and Daryl looks away. She can't hold on to all the badness all the time. She lets it go. He doesn't. He's already pulling away, already apologetic, but she grabs his shoulders, wrenching him back fiercely, angling her hips until his hand is pressed against her, into her heat and her wetness, into the place that is all her and all pleasure and all desire. It's his turn to curse and hers to grin. No, she tells him. No. And somehow he understands what she means, even though she doesn't. Not really. She pushes thoughts of those they've lost from her mind and focuses on him. On them. On what they're doing. On what they're trying to achieve, even though she really has no idea. His sweetness has thrown her off, but she doesn't know why. He was always going to be sweet. He was always going to be this way with her. His movements are light, gentle 
but his breathing is harsh and ragged in her ear as his fingers slip under the fabric of her panties. He doesn't touch her at first, so she waits, quiet and still. A little mouse biding its time. Except she's not a mouse. Not after today, not after the last few weeks. She'll never be a mouse again. She wants him to touch her, to know her. Dares him to understand how much she wants this, how much she wants him. He hisses and bows his head as he skims the wetness between her legs, as his hand presses down on her. She buries her face in his neck, teeth ghosting against his shoulder. She hears him breathe her name as his fingers start to move over her, inside her. It's sore, uncomfortable, his probing ungentle and experienced, rougher than she thought. She adjusts, half wanting to pull away, and suddenly his touch becomes easier, smoother, as she lets go of the fear and gives herself over to him. You all right? he asks. Yeah, she breathes, as his trembling fingers continue to move. And then his mouth is on hers again, his tongue pressing against hers. He's still going slow, slower than she would like, but the heat between her thighs is blossoming, and she worries she'll come undone right there and then. His strokes are a little uneven, a little broken, but she moves her hips gently in time with him to help him find a rhythm, holding his wrist tightly like she knows what she's doing, like she has the answers. She doesn't think she fools anyone. Even so, he learns fast, between his soft kisses and gentle touches. And when he asks if he's doing it right, if she likes it, he's earnest and vulnerable, and the sweetest man in the world. And she tells him that yes, yes, he is, and yes, yes, she does. And the blood is already roaring in her ears, and her hips are lifting off the pillows, and she's clawing at him and rocking against him, and she worries that she doesn't want him to see her like this. Except that she really does. She thinks he's more surprised than her when she comes, thinks he didn't expect it, but her climax rolls through her like sunshine and moonlight and liquid fire, and the next thing she knows, he's covering her cries with his mouth. And his hand, still seated between her legs, is too much, and she grabs his wrist and shoves it away. She lies there trembling for a moment before he touches her cheek, and it takes a second for her to remember to relax, to become languid and loose-limbed, to quiet the heat in her blood and be aware of anything other than the wetness of his fingers on her face, the smell of her on his hands. She guesses she isn't hard to please. And when he kisses her again, he's still slow, but no longer wary, no longer shy. He rises to his knees to look at her, across the expanse of her, taking her in, eyes roaming over the meager curves she has, breath hitching as his thumbs chase her harder edges and then her softer ones. And his hand travels from her thigh and loops through the waistband of her panties. He looks to her for permission, and for a moment she's lost in his eyes before she nods, and he slips the pink cotton off, laying a kiss on the inside of her knee so that his beard tickles and mouth soothes. He mumbles something against her skin, and she thinks he's telling her she's beautiful. And then he looks at her, really looks at her, her pale nipples, her skinny hips, the soft, soaked hair between her legs. And even through the fog of her recent climax, she suddenly feels insanely aware that she's now completely naked, and he's completely not. Daryl, she says, looking at him pointedly. Yeah, he says, and even though it's his answer, he manages to make it sound like he's giving himself permission again. Yeah. 
He reaches for his buttons as she sits up to undo his pants. But he flinches slightly as her hand brushes against him, and then kisses her as if he's trying to hide his discomfort, hands traveling gently up her thighs, her hips, her ribs. His breath hitches as he thumbs the curve of her breasts, big hands tightening on her sides, and she realizes he's trying to distract her. She realizes that he'll do this all for her and expect nothing in return. That's not going to happen. Calmer now, easier, focused as she grins against his mouth. You gonna let me see or not? She asks slightly. Or are you the only one allowed to have a look? He leans his forehead on her shoulder and chuckles softly, and it's the small break in the tension that they need. This is a better joke. Mr. Sass girl, he says. He said this before, said it often. She wonders if it's code for something else. Something bigger. You know. She tells him she missed him, too. It is code for something else. Something bigger. And he looks like he's holding back a sob when he runs her fingers through her hair, and she can swear his eyes are glassy. And suddenly he's pliant under her hands, and he kisses her again, long and deep, and his tongue is hot and wet, and it feels like he wants to taste all of her, crawl inside her, and never see the light of day again. And even though she started this with a dropped shirt and a plea in her eyes, he's the one begging. She pushes him back so that he's on his ass, straddling his legs, and before he can think, before she can think, before she can allow her shyness to get the better of her, and she withers under his heavy gaze, because he's not acting shy anymore, not even a little bit. His eyes are on her, on her breasts, on her hips, on the wet juncture of her thighs. She reaches to unbutton his shirt, and when his hands close over hers, stopping her, she tells him to trust her, that it'll be okay. And he says it does, and he looks so earnest it breaks her heart. She kisses his cheek, and then his brow, and he nods, and rubs his thumb over the scar on her wrist. And she wants to cry and laugh, but she does neither, as she pushes the shirt off his shoulders. The scars on his back are worse than she remembers, hardened ugly lines of dead skin crisscrossing broad, smooth flesh, and she feels a sob form in the back of her throat that someone would do this to him, to the man he is now, and the frightened child he was then. And he tells her it doesn't matter, and she whispers that it does. And the firelight flickers over his skin and makes his scars look like liquid memories of silver and gold. And she wants him to understand that he's special, special and beautiful and important, special to her, every part of him, from the broad expanse of his shoulders and the carved tightness of his belly to the wreck that is his back and flecks of gray in his beard. Briefly, she thinks they'll need to talk about this sometime, any time, another time. Not now. There's a scar on his chest, too. It's short and ugly, puckered, discolored flesh above his right nipple, and she bites her lip and pushes thoughts of how it got there out of her mind. She chances a look at him, but his face is unreadable, and she's acutely aware that she's never been more vulnerable. And neither has he. The long-heeled laceration is rough, and she runs her fingers across it gently, and then, because she's decided to throw caution to the wind, she leans into him to plant a tentative chain of kisses on the same path. He stiffens for a second beneath her, hands fluttering on her hips, like he doesn't know how to touch her, like he's gone wary again. The moment draws out for too long, and she thinks she's overstepped the mark, pushed him too far. 
and then he moves his hand from her hip, fisting it into her hair, holding her to him. Breath comes out in heavy puffs as he kisses the top of her head, cradling her against him. And she decides that one day, by God's grace, she's going to kiss every inch of every scar on his entire body. And then someday, when she's done that enough, he'll remember this, this time, this tenderness, this desire instead of the hate, pain, and rage that marks him. When he takes her hand, she looks up, thinking he intends to move her, to lie her down beneath him again. But he doesn't just intertwines their fingers like they did so many millennia ago in a cold field of even colder graves. And then his eyes lock on hers. It's that look, that combination of fear and hard determination, a look that defies her to drop her gaze, to pull her eyes away from his. It would be easy, and it wouldn't mean anything. She could press her lips to his neck, his cheek, his mouth, even, and things wouldn't go any differently. But she won't. She won't, because she gets it. And it's huge for him. His eyes never leave hers as he raises her wrist to his lips and plants one, just one, gentle, scruffy kiss on the faded white line that she tries so hard to hide. I never cut my wrists just to get attention. She doesn't need to ask. It's the most intimate thing he's ever done. She knows, because even though she can hear his heart hammering in his chest, and his eyes have a wild, unnerved look as if he's suddenly petrified that he's done something wrong, he won't look away. This is how he shows himself. This is how he loves. She touches his face, thumb running over his jaw, brushing the wetness of his lips, the prickles of his beard. She whispers his name, and he pulls her into him, arms tight around her, hands splayed on her back. He says something in her ear, something she can't make out over the blood thrumming through her veins and the gruff rumble of his voice, but before she can ask him, his tongue is in her mouth, lips pressed hard on hers. It will be her only regret, never hearing his words. He'll wave it away tomorrow, whatever tomorrow may bring. Maybe he'll spook and wave her away too, but no, not now. Not tonight. Tonight, he's just Daryl, and tonight they're just the only two people left on Earth. Still kissing her, he moves, almost lifting her completely to lie her down on the pillows. There's no hesitation as he removes the last of his clothing, jeans, socks, underwear discarded as if it's nothing, as if it's not armor anymore. She chances a look between his legs where he's hard and heavy, where he's ready, and the sight of him makes her tremble. And then he's crouching over her, big hands rough on her thighs. You sure? he asks. She bites her lip and nods. I'm sure. You sure? He looks a little incredulous for a second, but he meets her eyes, and the expression leaves. She's not sure why, but he suddenly looks grateful, like she's done something for him that no one has ever done before. And it has nothing to do with fucking. Yeah, I'm sure, he tells her, his voice low and earnest, a little strained, a little sad, and then he snorts. Course I'm sure, girl. Christ. She knows it's bravado, Daryl trying to get Daryl back. But she's touched something inside him, unlocked another layer, discovered the sweetness within. Whatever happens, this will be something that stays with them forever. He places a gentle hand on her hip, thumbing the jutting edge of the bone. His skin is coarse and calloused, reminding her that somewhere she's still soft, still smooth, still feminine, instead of hardened and dirty. He swears his mouth is filthier than hers. 
his mouth that he kisses her with. His hand grips her thigh, pressing it outwards, wide, open. And looking down at her, he frowns, chewing his lip. For a moment, she thinks he's going to press his hips to the too hot flesh between her legs. For a moment, she knows he considers it before he gets in his own way. But then his fingers tighten on her leg, and it's sore enough to bruise. He kisses her hip, licks it a little, mouth ghosting close to her dampness, before making his way to her lips, tongue rough on her belly, her nipples, and positioning himself between her thighs. She shivers. He looks at her. He doesn't need to say anything. She's long since learned to read his eyes, to understand the set of his jaw, the slant of his brow. She nods once. Another short, sharp, no-nonsense nod that she hopes conveys all the anticipation she's feeling and a great deal more confidence. She's Beth. Daughter, sister, friend, carer, fighter, killer, warrior. Now just Beth. Just Beth with her sweet voice and blue eyes. Just Beth with her good heart and her spine of steel. Just Beth. Or maybe just a lover. She reaches between them to line him up, and he gasps as she wraps her hand around him, as she rubs the hardness of him, as her fingers find him thick and throbbing. And she wants to touch him and taste him, and wishes they had more time. If only they had more time. And then he covers her hand with his, pushes at her thigh. Her eyes widen as he eases into her. He's careful. He's attentive. Maybe even a little too careful. Maybe even a little too attentive. It makes her feel shy. It also makes her feel special, and she can't decide which one is more powerful. Even though this started out as a way to... she doesn't know what anymore. His uncertainty, his humility, his respect, the way he understands, the way he hesitates gives her the spark of hope that he won't freak out when they're done, that this means something to him. That she hadn't misunderstood his look and unintelligible rumble back in the funeral home, even if she'd been too surprised to respond. She hopes that if, no, when, they make love again, they can do it without all this madness running through her head, that she'll be free to lose herself in him without fear. He'll be free to relax, to trust her and himself, as they move through this together. One day, when they have more time. More time than all the time in the world. She breathes deeply, looking away, a cautious hand against his chest stilling him, as she takes a moment to adjust to him, to grow accustomed to his body inside hers. It's been so long. You okay? His voice is a hoarse whisper. She nods, even though it stings, and he wraps a hand around the back of her knee, tugging her legs slightly higher, slightly wider, filling her completely. He groans as he rests his weight on his elbows, either side of her head, arching against her, caressing her cheek with his thumb. She breathes slow and deep, shifting her hips slightly before relaxing and giving herself up to him fully. She concentrates on the feel of him inside her, the way he stretches and warms her, an ache that makes her wrap her legs around him, hands gripping the hard muscle in his arms as his skin moves across hers. She likes his blue eyes, focused, clear, but somehow calm, somehow content. She watches his lips lingering above hers, the slight lopsided smile. When he kisses her, it's slow and gentle. Ridiculously so when you consider how hard and deep he's buried inside her. But with Daryl, it's always been the little things, the small excesses that makes life about living and not just surviving. 
He's the guy that brings the doll when he's looking for baby formula. The guy that finds a piece of Jasper when he's hunting for life-saving medication. The guy that kisses you sweetly while he fucks you hard and dirty. She touches his face and he turns his head to brush his lips across her palm. You're so beautiful, he whispers, bowing his head to her shoulder, and it sounds like something he's been wanting to say forever, even though he's just said it. She wants to thank him, but her voice isn't working, and all she manages is some unintelligible sound that, against all logic, he seems to understand. And he starts to move against her. His thrusts are thorough, deliberate, a little too hard, a little too sharp, but undoubtedly more about her than him and she suddenly understands Maggie's words about male-centric sex. Her experience may not be vast, and she doubts his is either, but he's got it into his head to treat her right, as right as he can, and she finds that soothing. Despite their differences, despite his hesitation, he's gone out of his way to make this about her, even though she's the brazen one, the forceful one. And she wants him to know that's important, important in the grander scheme of things, but also just important to her. In fact, she feels almost guilty that she hasn't done more to alleviate his own inner demons. She doesn't have to wonder if he has any. She turns her face to kiss his cheek and then his mouth. She wants to say something, but she doesn't know what. All the options frighten her. In the end, she tells him she wants him. She wants only him. Even in mid-thrust, she can see his surprise, his relief. Beth, he breathes, and it's all he needs to say. For now, it's enough, and it feels like heaven. She grips his shoulders tightly, and he hisses as her nails dig in, but she can't be sure if that's pain or pleasure. All she's sure of is him, his movements, his hands, his lips, his body pressed to hers. She's seldom seen him like this, this tenderness. She's always associated him with fighting, with aggression, not to her, not to his family, but as someone who will get his hands dirty, as someone who's not complete without a crossbow or a gun. Is that what you think of me? But this, this now, this focus on her, it's new. She wonders if he's always like this when he makes love. Part of her wants to think this is just for her. Part of her wants to believe she's tapped through the awkwardness that is Daryl and found something undiscovered inside. It's silly. She doesn't care. They deserve this, both of them, and she's not going to agonize over it. If that makes her selfish, makes her possessive, she doesn't care. She doesn't care at all. Maybe she will tomorrow, or the next day, but right now, with him, all she wants to know is the sensation of him inside her. His lips caressing her cheek, his hands tangled in her hair. And she feels that tightening from earlier, her body tensing, her knees pressed hard against his hips as her back arches. She says his name, but it doesn't sound anything like she remembers it. She swears she hears a chuckle as she moves his hand from her face and pushes it awkwardly between them until he understands what she wants, and his thumb presses down against where she's swollen and wet. And she knows he's inexperienced, and she knows they need practice, but she also knows her blood is raging and it won't take much to push her over the edge. Okay, he asks. She nods, gasping, and looks back at him, bewildered, but for all the world he has a small lopsided smile on his face that's equal parts self-satisfaction and awe. And she smiles back, and her heart feels broken, and she doesn't know why, but it's like the bubble in her chest was filled with bittersweet sorrow, and it's close to bursting. 
and she reaches up to touch his cheek to pull him down for a kiss, wedging his hand uncomfortably between them, the hand that plays the ache between her thighs, that soothes and intensifies it. When he pulls back, his eyes tell a story. They always have. They've always shown another side of Daryl. And now, despite the smile gracing his lips, despite his fingers drawing spirals of pleasure on her, his eyes are earnest, flickered with concern, tenderness, fear, and something else. And she wonders what he sees on her face. If he sees her desire for him. If she sees how much she loves him. You should tell him, she hears a voice inside her head. And she knows she should, but she's lost in his movements, in his eyes, and she's lost her words and her voice and anything outside of this moment. You should tell him. Maybe. Maybe when there's more time. He's biting down hard on his lip, and it's a look she's familiar with, one she's seen often with Jimmy, less so with Zack. And she knows it'll take very little to push him over the edge, that he's close and concentrating hard not to tip over before her. It's that juxtaposition, the arrogance and the sweetness, the tough outside and the mushy inside that destroys her, that shatters her heart. The fact that one hand teases between her legs, but the other holds hers and squeezes reassuringly. He's all she's ever wanted, and nothing like what she thought. It scares her and comforts her. And she wonders if it will always be like this with him, this overload of emotions that keeps knocking her sideways, or if it really is just the day, the week, the last two and a half years. It's so irrational, so crazy that he, Daryl Dixon, is inside of her. This man, this broken, beautiful, wonderful, frightening, ridiculous, magnificent, fucked up man. And she wants to laugh, and she wants to cry, and she wants to scream, and she wants to sing, and she wants, and she wants, and she wants. And then the bubble bursts, and she unwinds beneath him, the taut spiral fracturing under his fingers, leaving her to go spinning off into a world where only he can follow, where only the two of them and this perfect moment exist. She cries out his name loudly, this time it sounds like his, and is vaguely aware that he's covering her mouth with his palm, even as she shivers and his thrusts grow harder and faster, less rhythmic inside her as she comes, as she feels his lips and teeth clamping down on her neck, the sweat of his exertion dripping onto her chest, down the valley between her breasts, pushing that silver cross into her skin. She wants to hold him everywhere, touch him everywhere, but their limbs, their hands, their kisses are all in the way, and she's still spinning, but somehow has the faculties to press her legs down hard around his waist, bend slightly to meet his movements, so his thrusts become shorter and swifter. Jesus, Beth, he groans against her ear as he tries to withdraw from her. No, she breathes as his hand softens over her mouth. Please don't. Please don't. She knows it's dumb and stupid and reckless, but she can't bring herself to care, and neither can he. It'll be okay. Somehow, it'll be okay. He jerks awkwardly, so uncomfortable that it hurts, aches as he lets out a soft moan and comes inside of her, body rigid, hands trembling against her flesh. And he's saying her name, Beth, Beth, Beth. And it sounds like a sob, and it sounds like praise. And he thrusts one, two, three more times viciously, her one hand cupping his head, holding him against her shoulder, the other pressed against the demon tattoos on his back as she waits for him to go slack. And he's still saying her name when he does. And he's kissing her neck and her shoulder, 
and his hands are in her hair, on her face, on her breasts. His breathing is still heavy when he rolls them both onto their sides, arms tied around her, grounding her, stopping her from not only falling off the pillows, but from just falling into whatever lies beyond this moment. She's grateful that he keeps her tethered, keeps her from floating away. She hopes she does the same for him. She finds she can't look at him as his breathing slows, even though he's still inside her, even as the stain of their orgasms dry on her thighs. She burrows against him, resting her forehead against his chest, trying to make herself small and silent and inconspicuous, listening to the emptiness, the puppy snores, their heavy breathing. He runs a hand through her hair and then settles on her waist. She's grateful that he hasn't said anything. She's not scared, but thinking back to how brazen she's been, she feels more than a twinge of embarrassment. So she's still, pressed against him, body shaking as her sweat, his sweat, cools on her skin, and the heated metal of the cross lies between them. She thinks it's only a few minutes later, but she's not sure. In the new world, and especially in this newer one her and Daryl have created, time is more fluid, less defined, when she feels him shift and withdraw from her. It's a relief and a disappointment, and she misses him already. She chances a glance at him. He looks a bit spooked, eyes slightly too wide, his mouth slightly too hard. Cold? He swallows loudly. She nods. Should have said something, girl, he chides gently. He sits up slowly, and she takes a moment to admire him. His muscle, his skin, the smooth lines of his torso, and the sharp cut of his hips. She feels lucky and happy and silly and almost smug when he wipes her down with his shirt. Probably need to wash that, he says, tossing it onto the floor. You think? she answers, and immediately regrets it for being too soon. But he snorts and reaches around her to pick up the discarded quilt, pulling it over them, before settling back down and tugging her into his side. They're quiet, watching the dying firelight, the snow now falling a little heavier outside. Ain't Georgia weather at all. And she wonders if they will fall asleep now, or if he'll want to talk. She doesn't know which she'd prefer. She breathes him in, the musk of his sweat, the metallic tang of blood. He kisses the top of her head before resting his chin against her. Okay, he asks. Hmm. Beth, I... He starts. Beth, I... He starts, and she looks up at him. And he stops. So it's talking, then. But he's quiet again, and she chews her bottom lip. He looks away from her face, over her shoulder, towards the door. There's nothing there. She shifts closer to him, and he turns so that their bellies are touching, cups the back of her head, pushes her tight against him. Daryl, she whispers, and part of her hopes that he doesn't hear her, doesn't acknowledge it, but he looks down at her. You okay? He takes a deep breath and nods, and he looks so serious she wants to laugh, but she doesn't. She'll never laugh at him. Not like this. Not here. Not now. It's okay, she tells him, and he nods. Yeah, he says. Yeah, I know it is. He only half believes her, she can tell. She kisses him on the lips softly, and he hesitates before giving himself over to her, one hand caressing her face. She smiles, and he does too. He runs his index finger down her arm. His touch is light, tickling almost, and it gives her goosebumps. He smirks. 
Your dad would kill me, he whispers, not looking at her, eyes following the path of his fingers. Me here with his little girl. He put a bullet right between my eyes. He wouldn't, she says. He glances at her, eyes hooded, and she can tell he doesn't believe her. He wouldn't, she insists again, as his hand slips to the tip of her waist and over her hip. She touches his face. My dad loved you, Daryl. You were family to him. Makes it worse, he starts, and she puts a finger to his lips. Stop, she says, a little angry, a little hurt. Just don't. His hand makes its way back up her side, over her arm to the curve of her shoulder, skin sliding over skin. Remember that run I went on with you? The only one I was allowed to go on? To that awful medieval strip mall? The one with the flagstones and the candelabras? Michonne was away, Maggie was sick, and Carol was too busy getting everyone from Woodbury settled. And you and Glenn got all weird about looking for tampons. Because you two can put walkers down by the dozen, but show you a feminine hygiene product, and y'all gross girls have cooties. He nods, smile crooked. When I told my dad I needed to go, he said it was okay as long as you were going. Not Glenn, not Zack, not Bob. You. He trusted you. I even told him I'd stay close to Zack. She trails off, waiting for the sting of his death to find her, waiting for the wave of embarrassment to wash over as she talks about her dead boyfriend while in the embrace of another man. It doesn't come. It's quiet. Quiet with the rage. Quiet with the hysteria. Quiet under the beating of Daryl's heart. Beth, he prompts gently, and she comes back to the here, the now. She swallows. It's easier the second time around. He said to me, Don't you be worrying about Zack now. If you're insisting you want to go on this fool errand, you stick with Daryl. You're going in the car with him, and you ain't ever going to be out of his sight, not for a second. I don't care if Daryl comes back complaining that you were under his feet like a lost kitten. You're his shadow. You stick to him like glue. His smile was wan. You weren't the only one your daddy gave a talking to. She lifts her eyebrows, and he nods, finger tracing her clavicles before drawing a spiral on her shoulder. Yeah, he came to me before we left. Told me he knew I thought the run was to look for supplies, but my job was to keep you safe. Told me safety starts here. Take the Hyundai, not the death trap. My dad saw to it I didn't get a ride on your bike? Her voice is indignant. Yeah. She pulls a mock angry face and he answers with a shy smile. I'll take you on the bike someday. Take you somewhere nice, he tells her, smoothing her hair. I'll take you on the bike someday. Take you somewhere nice he tells her, smoothing her hair. And he will. She knows he will. Do you see, though? She touches the corner of his mouth with her thumb. My dad? You were like a son to him. Yeah, but that was a run. This here. He stops touching her and makes a vague gesture at their intertwined legs. Me, with you. He kicked my ass. I'd let him. Fuck, I'd help him. She props herself up on her elbow and looks at him sternly. You're wrong. My father was a lot of things, but he wasn't stupid. He respected you. He loved you, and all he wanted in the world was for me to find someone who would treat me right, the way Glenn treats Maggie. His face darkens a little, a tight frown at the mention of their names, and she can't decide if it's because he's given up hope of ever finding them, or if it's because he doesn't like the comparison, the connotation. She decides to ignore it and shoulder through. He'd have been happy I was here with you. So stop this nonsense. 
He always said no one was good enough until someone is. That's how he would feel about this. And I bet you a bag of bananas he'd be happy for me. For us? Yeah, he asks, and the frown is all but gone. Yeah, she says firmly, with finality. Where are you going to find a bag of bananas, girl? She rolls her eyes, and chuckling, he cuddles her back to his chest, kissing the top of her head. You're hilarious, she grumbles, secretly pleased, and he chuckles again. It's true, though, she says after a while, kissing his neck gently. Don't argue with me about my dad, Daryl Dixon. You knew him for what, two years? I knew him my whole life. Yeah, he says, and he's serious now. As if he might believe her, as if he's testing the idea out in his head and it's not coming back with insane written all over it. She kisses his jaw and shifts so she can mouth at his neck and shoulders, and her hands find their way to his hips and flat stomach. His breath is already rattling against her as he moves to kiss her, the brush of his tongue heralding a new ache between her legs. But as her hands slide down his belly, reaching for him, he pulls away. We should get some sleep, he says. Should we? she asks, and he can feel his grin more than see it in the dying light. They don't sleep. Not until much later. Not until it's almost morning. Instead, he touches her, traces lines over her body, her neck to her shoulder, shoulder to her breast, breast to the dip of her waist, the flare of her hips. She's quiet, as he does, losing herself to the sensation of his graceless hands, no longer even slightly shamed by her goose flesh or the blatant wetness between her thighs. He pushes her onto her back, down into the pillows, drags a hand from her knee up her thigh, thumbs her hip, and she says, please. Please, Daryl. Please. And he's gentle as his hand slides between her legs, where she's hot and wet and waiting. And he's tentative as his fingers explore her, trace the folds and dips, skim over the hard nub of her clit and ply the muscles inside her. Again, it doesn't take much to make her come, and she hides her head on his shoulder as she does, while his free hand, the one not pulling searing pleasure from her flesh, rubs her back and he whispers nonsense into her ear. Later, once she's caught her breath, he buries his head between her thighs, and he's unskilled and awkward, but she shows him what she likes, how she likes it, when to use the flat of his tongue and when not to. And when he sucks her clit into his mouth and laps at her, she feels like her skin is too small, and like she's shimmering and shining and turning to liquid as she falls apart under his mouth. She touches him too, his chest, his nipples, his hard belly and the harder cock below. He groans when she takes him in her hand, covers her fingers with his when she asks him to guide her. But he won't let her take him in her mouth, stops her with kisses and touches and a hand fisted in her hair. They have time, he tells her. They have so much time. And she wishes it were true. So she straddles him, works her hips hard against his, movement slow and deliberate, and his hands cover her breast and his eyes squeeze shut as he comes, and she collapses on top of him. Before she moves, she tells him she loves him. She really does love him. And she sees the shock in his eyes as he shifts her off him and curls his body into hers. It could almost be dawn outside. She doesn't know. But she's tired, and so is he, and his hand is heavy on her hip, heavy and comforting. And just before she falls asleep, she's dimly aware of Bo getting off his bed and flopping down on the pillows next to her feet.
Okay, so this took me fucking days to read. <laughs> it's so goddamn long. I am not complaining. Uh, once again, I was reading this, like, pretty much straight without having read any of it before. Jesus Christ, Mel, can you just... Can you not... Can you just possibly not? I'm looking at the notes right now, and it says, Be kind, I'm no good at smut. Mel? I don't know, I don't even know if you're listening to this right now, but if you are, fuck you. Because this is one of the hottest things I have ever fucking read. I mean, it's fucking perfect. It just couldn't be more perfect. I mean, how it's written, just, just, just how the touching happens and the awkwardness. And I love when sex is awkward. Just a little, because it would be with them. You just know it would. And the talking after, and then the having sex again. And I... I fucking love this, okay? I just... I fucking love it, and I'm loving reading it. And I'm so sad that I only have a few chapters left, and so far it's not finished. And... But, you know, I'm just gonna read it anyway. And then I gotta start thinking about what I'm gonna read next. But, you know what, I'm not even there yet, so whatever. Anyway, I'm so happy I'm finally done with it. Not in the, yay, I hated it, but in the, oh my god, this was really a project kind of way. I think this might be the longest single chapter I've ever read. But yes. Okay, moving on. Safe Up Here With You by Dynamic Symmetry Chapter 8. The world is heading ever southward. He can't take his eyes off her. He couldn't take his eyes off her when he first found her, either. Because he couldn't believe it. Because a horrible, traitorous part of himself didn't want to. He stared at her and stared at her and hoped that she wouldn't notice. Or that if she did, she wouldn't care. And as far as he could tell, she didn't do either didn't care that he was there at all a lot of the time. So he could look. Look all he wanted. Seems like that now, too. She comes back in with her ears and wrist and neck bare, all gone over the cliff, all made sacrifices. Leaning back against the counter, he watches her mechanically consume the canned sweet potatoes he set out for her, and he studies her. Her face, her hands, the whole attitude of her body. She appears more than unconcerned. She appears to have slipped back into that distant flatness. But at least she's calm. There's no indication of instability in her at the moment. Not that it means much. No instability. Like nothing happened. Because nothing did. No blood streaked on her. None on him. He went to the bathroom, stripped, checked every inch of himself, it's stupid, crazy, it was just a bad dream, just one of the worst fucking nightmares he's ever had. But he checked anyway, and then he checked again. Examined under his fingernails, the inner creases of his thighs, even between his goddamn toes, everywhere. Nothing. Nothing happened. He's fucked up. There's no way he couldn't be fucked up. He's struggling, even if he's not struggling like her, and he has been for months. Now he's alone with her, and he knows perfectly well that insanity can be contagious. And with nothing else up here, no one else to talk to, and no one to help him, 
He can't possibly be surprised when his fucked up brain decides to fuck with him. Doesn't mean he wants to... He doesn't want to do that to her. Doesn't. Doesn't want to see her like that. But today he's going to hunt for her because he said he would. Because he got them into this and he's not sure it'll actually hurt her any worse than she's already been hurt. The dangers of eating raw meat aside... And because he's frankly not sure what else to do. If he gives her some of what she wants, he might get some of what he wants. Not that. But he can't help himself what he does next. He has to. He doesn't have much control over everything here. He doesn't entirely have control over himself, if it comes to that. Why'd you throw all that stuff away? Slowly, she lifts her head. She's still blank, but there's something flickering behind it. Something bright and conscious. What stuff? Stuff I got for you. He narrows his eyes, slightly, but he knows she'll see it. And once again, and he hates it with astonishing viciousness, he doesn't feel like they're in this together. He feels like they're circling each other, looking for an opening. And he'll have to break her. The necklace. The other stuff. He threw it over. Why? Her frown is very faint. Puzzled. Puzzling. Then her face smooths out and she shrugs. It was pretty. And that seems to be all he gets. While she's dressing, he sits on his bed and stares down at his hand. The little red mark is still there in the center of his palm, stark as stigmata, but it looks smaller and fainter than it was. It might be his imagination, must be, but he'd swear it's fading as he watches. An hour later, he can barely see it anymore. Two hours, and it's like it was never there at all. His arm feels a bit better, and better still after he dry swallows some more painkillers. She stripped off the dressing on her hand the day before, and the bitten parts of her fingers look better, too. He sits in the chair across from the couch and studies her some more, smoking, peering through the coiling wisps of it at her bent head and her curled body as her pen moves rapidly across the page of the journal. She heals fast. Always has. He remembers her slashed wrist. Took only a couple of days to shrink and start fading into pink skin before she began covering it with her beaded leather thongs and her cuffs. He noticed even if he didn't mean to notice. Even if he didn't realize it then. Noticed it. Noticed her. He's been noticing her for a long fucking time. Now he can't take his eyes off her and he doesn't know quite why. There are a lot of reasons he knows that much. And it's freaking him out. He's aimlessly grateful that the dream is fading like the wound in his palm. There's a lot of it he doesn't remember. Just that it happened. And it was bad. What you writing? She looks up a little sharply. Good. She cares enough to react that much. You can't ask that about someone's journal. Mask in anyway. He manages a smile, crooked and anemic, or so it feels. You gonna stop me? Her gaze is level. Cold. Clouds have blown in and the light has gone pale gray, and it's stuck the life hue out of her skin. Yet another thing that's freaking him out just a touch, and he's trying to beat it back any way he can. Just not gonna answer you. Not if you're gonna be a jerk. Please tell me folding, 
Not that he doesn't want to fold. It's easier to fold right now. And he's not sure what he has to gain by trying to play it tough. Trying to pretend she can't plunge her hand into his chest cavity and claw him into bloody chunks. She already knows she can. She's known that from the beginning. Or don't. Whatever you want, Beth. You ain't gotta tell me shit. She's quiet for a while. Feels like a long while. He's certain she won't. Is ready to deal with it. He'll have tried and failed, and that's not exactly a new experience for him. But at last she looks back down and shifts on the cushion. Squirms a little. Stuff about dreams. If her gaze was cold, maybe it infected him. He doesn't jump, doesn't gasp. He just quietly freezes all over again, biting down on the cigarette, hands clenched into fists, and every muscle locked tight. Means nothing. She has dreams. With what happened to her, it makes sense they'd be bad ones, at least a lot of them. She's been through shit. Her brain got blown to hell. Even if she didn't say the dreams were bad ones. What kind of dreams? She looks up and past him, vaguely in the direction of the fireplace. Vaguely in the direction of her bed, the windows. The cold leeches into his marrow. Red ones, she whispers. Red and black. He shouldn't keep asking. This isn't something he needs to know. They're just dreams. They're hers. Ultimately, they're her business. But as before, he can't stop it. As if something else is guiding him now. Something perversely determined to root out every potentially awful thing it can find. What else? Still not looking at him. Hmm? What else was in them? The dreams. She shakes her head. Once. Twice. Hands. She takes a breath, one that swells her up and collapses her like a balloon. I don't remember. He doesn't want to leave it alone now. Surely he can't. Surely he won't. But he does. Completely without meaning to, without thinking about it, he taps the cigarette out on his tongue. The ash is gritty and bitter, and the filtered smoke pluming into his sinuses reeks of stale tobacco that was never very good to begin with. But it doesn't hurt. Or if it does, he doesn't care enough to perceive it. She's still writing, not looking up anymore. And when he rises and tells her that he's going hunting, she gives him a quick, disinterested nod, as if she forgot what it meant, that she'll be getting what she wants, as if she doesn't care anymore, and she won't care about the outcome. Maybe he doesn't have to go after all. But ten minutes later, he's shivering as he pulls on his boots, picks up the crossbow, heads out the door and into the slate-toned light, and down the drive with the wind picking up all around him and shaking the treetops storm. He doesn't look at that long, rotten, brown smear of blood in front of the door, between it and his bike. Doesn't look as he walks over it. Doesn't look back. He doesn't need to see it. Does no good to him. Does fuck all. Her bloody hands, bloody lips, bloody chin and throat, blood in her hair all over her chest and belly, soaking her clothes, the blood on her teeth, all inset with garnets and rubies, and that smile. He doesn't want to see her like that. Stop. He can't control it. Never could. No, dear. Nothing large. 
forgot he can't, because not only was it way too much, not only would that much fresh death probably attract walkers, even if they've taken some minimal precautions, but it was so big, and lying there soaked in its own blood, it would have been easy enough to squint and blur away his vision and see something of a similar size, but a different shape. Something she would probably find even more satisfying. As he turns off the road and begins to make his way onto the steep wooded slopes, moving slow to keep his footing, it suddenly occurs to him that maybe it's not a bad idea to continue to keep her away from the rest of them after all. Maybe there is a legitimate reason that doesn't involve his own unbearable, uncontrollable selfishness. She hasn't tried to feed on him. She believes, with her fractured and consistent logic, that he's dead too. He wouldn't make any kind of a decent meal but he can't be so sure she'd believe that about the rest of them. What exactly would happen to her in the zone? What would they do with a girl who kept trying to tear people apart with her nails and her teeth, who isn't large but who can be surprisingly strong and even more surprisingly quick and agile when she wants to be? Put her in restraints and just keep her there? Put her in a fucking cage? Drug her into oblivion? Cast her out? Rick wouldn't stand for that. None of them would. But Rick's position is still shaky. Same goes for all of them. And at the moment, what Rick has managed to accumulate has been collected primarily through the careful use of intimidation. And that only goes so far. Just another reason why Daryl isn't in any particular hurry to get home. Why he's never in any particular hurry to get home anymore. Home. Up here with her... He blinks slowly, gaze sliding across the ground ahead and all around, watching for disturbed or crushed leaves and marked soil, dislodged pebbles, scattered pine needles. The clouds have thickened and lowered, and a lot of the forest floor has been swept into shadow, narrow pine trunks, stark lines all around. But that never stopped him before, and he won't allow it to do so now. Doesn't matter that his thoughts are moving back in some deeply uncomfortable directions. Not that anything he thinks now is all that comfortable. This in itself... The track, the hunt, is still comforting. What he's thinking, he can approach with at least a little detachment. It's not clawing at him. There's no panic lurking inside it, no dread. Might very well be better to keep her up here. And maybe he still feels better up here than he would there. You know that isn't true. He doesn't know anything. His hand twinges, sharp and sudden like a thorn piercing his palm. But when he jerks it up and examines it in the dimness, there's nothing there. He doesn't know anything. He knows less and less every second. In the end, all he gets for her is squirrels. It's mostly what he sees. It's easy. They're scampering all over, chasing each other around and chittering angrily, like something has them riled up and he doesn't have to work at it for more than an hour or so before he has two. But it's also that they're small. Small, without much flesh on their bones, and without much mess to be made. Because on his way back up the slope, he sees the gray and black flash of a raccoon crawling through a thin cluster of undergrowth, and the thing actually pauses and raises its wide head, fixes Daryl with glittering black eyes sitting deep in the twin hearts of its mask. He could take it down, take it back to her, Christ, he could. It would probably make her happier than a couple of scrawny squirrels. Once again, ignoring the very real damage she could be letting her do to herself by giving her the meat raw, ignoring all the rest of it, 
and just looking at the sheer value, in her eyes, of what he could bring her. Laying it down in front of her, stepping back, watching what happens next. Rick told him once. Clearly hadn't wanted to, but clearly had needed to. It was long after it happened, and the fact is that he and Rick don't talk much anymore anyway, at least not like they used to. But this time they were, sitting out on the porch together, him with a cigarette and Rick with a can of lukewarm beer picked up on a run, and it had been a bad day. A bad week. Daryl is supposedly good at telling the difference between good people and bad people, but maybe he's not always so good at telling the difference between good people and bad people and crazy people, because someone he and Aaron brought back, who they thought was fine. Mother and her two girls, seven and five. Little blonde stick figures, all skin and bone, with blue eyes that seemed to occupy fully half their dirty faces. They were starving. They were desperate. They were so happy to be there. And that afternoon, the mother decided their first day in their new home was the perfect time and place to slit those two little throats open in the bathtub and follow up with her wrists. Fuck knows why. Just one of those things. So there was Rick that night, sitting down next to him and talking. No intro, no preamble. Just this story about back when they were still living in the prison, when he found a woman in the woods, said she needed help for her and her husband, said she would take Rick to him, and the husband was a severed walker head, and Rick was supposed to be. Some people are just too far gone. This, this wasn't your fault. It's not on you. You can't read minds, and there are people you're just not going to be able to help. But now there's that woman again and what she did. Because she couldn't live without him. Even that much of him had been enough for her. Or she convinced herself of that. Because the alternative was worse. She fed him. She fed him when she herself was starving. She would have killed to feed him, was ready to try. She fed that thing. And she told herself it was him, and he was there, and it was enough. She hadn't lost him. He wasn't gone. Maybe she could even bring him back. Daryl drops the bow, braces a hand against the thick, rough trunk of an oak, and lowers his head between his shoulders until he stops shaking. It's not the same. He stares down at the rotting leaves, the thin carpet of gold-brown pine needles, a worm wriggling up through displaced earth. Wind circles him, chilly and smelling of rain and faint ozone. It's not the same. It's not at all the same. She's alive. She's not a walker. She's not dead. That's the whole point of being here. Right? This is just so she'll be happy. Just so she'll be easier to handle. Maybe easier to reach. This is just so she'll be good. Not the same. All the way back up to the road. Not the same. It's not. It's not. He still has limits. He has a whole fuck of a lot of things he won't do. This used to be one of them. Something else Rick said that night. One of the last things. Getting up to go back in, turning to look. Not at Daryl, but out at the dim, quiet street. So normal. So fucking normal that to Daryl, it never stopped feeling hopelessly insane. Something Rick said and it didn't feel like it was directed at him. They don't tell you, do they? They don't tell you that never, 
is just another word for until. She's sleeping when he brings them in. Curled on her mattress, knees drawn up to her chest, journal held between them in a tight hug. Her hair is half swept across her face, mostly obscuring her scarred cheek and her eye, and all he can see clearly is her full mouth, truly relaxed now for once. No tension winding itself around her from the inside. No terror, rage, or whatever the fuck the word is for what she feels most of the time these days. She just looks like a little girl again. He doesn't like it. The rain has started, nothing more than a soft pattering on the windows. And not knowing what else to do, he shrugs off the bow and drops the squirrels on the kitchen counter. If he wakes her now, they'll still be warm, and she'll almost certainly like that better than if she has them later on. But he stands there, braced on the cold granite bar between him and the rest of the room, and looking at her, and he can't. He can't bear it. There might be things about how she looks now that he doesn't like, and finds profoundly unsettling, but she's still Beth, and her hands and mouth are clean, and he wants it all to stay that way. Just a little longer. He went out. He did this awful thing for her. Surely he deserves that much. She stirs, jerks her head up and down, and flicks her hair back, and her brow furrows, twitches, smooths out again. He watches her a moment longer, the streaks of rain shadow running down her cheek and hands and arms, her closed lids. Even at a distance of yards, somehow he can see her eyes darting rapidly back and forth beneath them. He pushes away from the counter and goes to the pantry, grabs a bottle of wine at random, opens it with a soft pop and goes to the sofa, drops onto it, starts drinking. He has no idea how long she sleeps. Time gets blurry, slides in and out like a slow tide. The light darkens, lightens, darkens again. The rain continues steady as it's been, but in the distance, thunder begins to announce itself with gentle growling that he can tell, to the extent that he can tell anything, won't be nearly so gentle when it arrives. After about half the bottle, he can feel the house swaying in the gathering storm, rocking on its foundations. What kind of fucking idiot builds a house on a cliff? Who does that? Someone with a very extravagant death wish. Probably got it in the end, just not in the way they planned. Now he and Beth are up here, and it's just a matter of time before the whole thing goes over. He should make a fire. Give her that extra red light. Make her look even bloodier. In firelight, love looks black. Blood? No. Blood does. Her breast, that cold peak little nipple, tracing the pinched areola with his fingertip. Careful. Gentle as thunder. Feel her jerk and moan clutch his hand, arch into it. Tell him not to stop. Her mouth all bloody, surging close and licking it onto his jaw, his lips, dark smears, sweet copper. Raised on her knees in front of the fire, legs spread and glistening like ink, cunt raining black onto the flagstones, pooling in their tiny indentations, their tiny imperfections. Daryl, please, oh God, that's so good, it's so good, please, more God, touch me, touch me like that, like that, like that grappling with his other hand and dragging it to her cunt and nudging in between her dripping lips, throwing her head back and laughing and sobbing when he thrusts into her hot, slick mouth, clenching around him as the teeth inside her emerge, bite down, bite his fucking finger off.
He heaves up, gasping his throat raw, head jerking wildly around. Not her. No. Fucking hell, it's not. Didn't happen. She's not with him. She's there across the room. Her dim outline is rolling up and down, hips lifting and falling, and her back straining upward, and he thinks, Oh, fuck, no. No, 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 not this. This is worse. Please don't do this to me. But he doesn't remember why. Her hand isn't between her legs, and she's not naked. She's gripping the sheets, tearing at them, her face pulled into a grimace that can't be anything but pain. As he stares, all the moisture hissing out of his mouth and running cracks through it like desert mud, she kicks violently, untangles her feet, tangles them even worse. Her teeth are bared, lips dragged into a snarl, and he's screaming at his body to move. Christ, move and fucking help her! But his limbs are stupid, useless things, and he can't help anyone. She wrenches her mouth open and screams, screams with no voice behind it, nothing but a breath that seems to rip her lungs apart on its way out. Gorman. And then he does move, but he never makes it. He's halfway across the room when she goes abruptly still, and he goes abruptly still with her, skidding to a halt and gaping. She's on her back, splayed, but her face is relaxed, her entire body, just as much as it was before and like nothing even happened. Then she stirs, flutters her eyelids and yawns, slowly pushing herself up sideways on one hand, and turns her head and blinks sleepily at him. Daryl? Yeah. Because what the fuck else is he gonna say? Yeah, I'm... I'm here. Mm. She stretches and he hears her spine cracking once, twice, and he flings his gaze away when she bends backward and drops her head between her shoulders, neck pulled into a lovely arch. This is untenable. This can't continue. He doesn't know what happened, doesn't know why, but he can't. This has never happened before, never with anyone. He's never, ever thought these things about anyone, and he's trying to take care of her, and he looks at her and sees a child, and it's so wrong, and it's sick, and he's sick. And all at once, he wants to fucking cry. Stop. When she looks at him again, she's smiling, and it's small but warm. She's happy to see him. God fucking help him, she's happy. If she knew the shit that's chewing its way through his head. You bring me anything? Like it's nothing. Like she's asking about anything she intends to consume in a conventional manner. Like she's not even asking about food. Like she's a little girl whose father has just returned from a business trip, and she's asking about presents from somewhere strange and exotic. Jesus Christ, would you fucking stop? He swallows, and the force of it just about takes his tongue down with it. He manages to cobble together a nod. Yeah. He makes her come into the kitchen, because of the tile. Easier to clean. She gives him an odd look, but shrugs, and comes willingly enough. Why wouldn't she? He brought her presents. She would probably do pretty much whatever he asked, provided it wasn't too unreasonable, in order to have them. So he picks them up by their scruffy tails, and when he turns around, she's there, with her knife in her hand. And what's on her face? He looks away. He looks away when he gives them to her, and when his fingers brush her bitten ones in the transfer, a shudder runs through him, so violent it nearly makes his teeth rattle. But he looks at her when she drops to her knees on the clean white floor, and cuts them open, 
carves away their hides, pulls out the gut with her bare hands, and tosses it away into a sad, slick little pile, and sinks her teeth into the muscle and fat and sinew, and tears it to shreds. He watches her kneeling in a spreading pool of gore, flashes of pink flesh in her pink mouth as she eats, and blood water falling down her chin, streaming past her wrists. He knows about animals. He knows about anatomy, and he knows how to take creatures apart. And he's intimately familiar with the process. But he's never seen squirrels that seem to contain this much blood. Furry bags of it. She bursts them on her rocks. He closes his eyes, and the back of her head explodes. And he doesn't feel anything. Thank God. Thank the God who cannot possibly be there if things like this happen. He doesn't feel anything. The Moments Between by Ambrosia 29 The old building was on fire at both exits, but still the walkers shambled through. He was out of bolts, slamming his crossbow into their heads and shoulders to put them down or knock them away. "'Run!' he shouted to Beth. If she could get out before the fire spread too thick, maybe she could get to the bike. He pulled out his knife when a walker got too close, slamming the blade into its skull. He held on as it fell and moved to take the next one coming. Run, damn it! No, she shouted back. He glanced at her. She would be breathtaking if the situation wasn't so dire. The forearm machete strapped to her arm swung continuously, flowing through the air in graceful arcs and jabs as she took down the walkers attempting to surround them. Her long braid swayed with her movements, accentuating her agility as she fought. Her crystal blue eyes flicked to him as a walker went down under her blade, firelight reflecting off the round scar that marred her forehead. Those blues widened in alarm, and she stepped toward him. Daryl! she shouted. He whipped his head back around, but the floor was suddenly swinging toward the ceiling, and stars exploded across his vision, until all was white. Daryl, said a voice that felt familiar, echoing through, wherever he was. He tried to ignore it, throwing his arm over his eyes to shield them from the white light. Daryl. Daryl, said the voice again, a little more clearly this time. He recognized that voice. It was Beth. He opened his eyes. The white light had gone, replaced with sky. He was lying on his back on the ground, looking up at it. It was a clear blue, scattered with clouds, reminding him of his first hunting trip he'd taken alone. He moved his limbs experimentally, expecting some kind of pain, and was pleased when he found none. Daryl? He looked to his right, straight into a beautiful pair of crystal blue eyes with a heart-shaped face. She smiled with warmth. Beth? He asked wonderingly, noting the absence of her scars. He reached out and brushed a fingertip over her cheek, finding it smooth. You all right? Her smile widened. I'm all right, Daryl been waiting here for you. He sat up, 
and she followed suit. Wait. She nodded. He heard a soft panting to his left, and there was a strange white dog wagging its tail at him. It looked like one he'd seen before, although that one had been shaggy and missing an eye. It whined and wandered off, bringing a sense of unease to his mind. What is this? he asked, voice rough. Something was feeling off, like that prickle when you're being stalked. He glanced into the tree line and realized two things. It was a place he recognized, and there was an obscuring mist just inside the trees. He didn't hear any walkers, but that didn't mean anything. Beth, we should get moving. It ain't safe out here. She shook her head, cool as a cucumber, and placed a soothing hand on his arm. Don't worry, Daryl. Nothing can find us here. Or harm us. Why's that? She offered him a patient stare and a knowing smile, saying everything with her eyes. He realized then that she looked younger, softer than he'd recently grown used to. Those crystal eyes held innocence and determination, playful wit and a gentle strength. This was Beth, the Beth he'd grown fond of, the Beth he'd failed. Oh, he said when it dawned on him. He felt a sinking sensation in his gut and wondered if she was telling him what he thought she was telling him. Is that why... He gestured to her face in the absence of scars. He looked down at the grass beneath them before she could answer, hiding his eyes as tears stung them. I'm sorry, Beth, he said quietly, voice breaking on the words. She squeezed his hand then, reaching with her left to touch his chin, gently urging him to look at her. He met her eyes. The tears fell and his brows furrowed as he felt the dam of years breaking once again, unable to stem the tide of emotions brought forth by that gentle touch. I'm sorry I failed you. She responded as he remembered, throwing her arms around him and squeezing him tight as he wept. They sat like that for a while, and when the tide had ebbed, she gave him another reassuring squeeze and said softly into his hair, It's okay, Daryl. If I hadn't... No, she said sharply. Her voice softened as she continued. That's not why I'm here. She brushed the tears from his face, the hair out of his eyes. Is it really you? he asked. She nodded. Well, then, who's the one out there? He gestured vaguely to the tree line, and she looked. Her eyes became distant, as though seeing far away. She's still me. I'm me. I'd lost something when it happened. Something had to change, and this was the trade. I lived. But a part of me was lost, and it's never coming back, Daryl. I'm sorry. He nodded and squeezed her hand. Me too. But I'm still in there, she said matter-of-factly. I know you see it. It's why you'd held hope that I'd remember more. He nodded. She shifted to sit in front of him on her knees, a look of gentle determination on her features. She reached out and cupped his face. What are you doing? he asked. She smiled and leaned forward. Something I'd have liked to try if we'd had the time, she said. She pressed her lips to his, chaste and sweet. He felt an ache in his chest and returned her kiss, sliding his lips along hers with tenderness. His hands moved as if of their own accord, stroking her hair, cheek, and shoulder. He pulled her closer into his lap and held her tight as the kiss became fervent. He put everything he could into kissing her. It was desperate with regret and apology, a gallows kiss if there'd ever been one. 
She slid fingers through his hair and grabbed a hold, accepting his onslaught and returning in kind. As she trailed her lips over his jaw and cheek, there was a sense of relief and joy as well. She clutched his shoulders, accepting the swirl of emotions in his passion as she accepted everything else about him. Breathing deeply and looking dazed, she kissed him with a finality and promise. Eyes inches from his, they shone with her smile. He leaned in one more time and placed a last chaste kiss on her swollen lips. I don't have much time with you here, she said apologetically. He kept his eyes on her, mesmerized by the joy she radiated. How she kept that in a world that had done that to her, he'd found baffling and endearing. Why's that? Because this is temporary. You're gonna live. You're last man standing, remember? Don't forget, I'm in her still. She placed a hand on his pounding heart. And I'm here. Don't tell me, he said with a rough voice, that you're saying goodbye now. This isn't goodbye. You know I hate goodbyes, Daryl. Daryl echoed again, and the mist in the wood was suddenly everywhere. He felt Beth's hand on his chest, pushing him back down into the grass beneath him. He led her, laying back, and touched her hand where it rested on his chest. Daryl! I'm gonna miss you, girl, he thought to himself. But you don't have to, came the startling reply that echoed through his head in a feminine voice. Daryl! He took a choking breath, and his eyes flew open to meet a pair of concerned crystal blue ones, so similar to the ones he'd just been looking into. Beth's face was thinner, a round scar marring her forehead, and another one from a healed cut to the cheek. But it was still her. Harder on the outside, but still the Beth he'd known. The Beth he was falling for all over again. The hand she held to his chest was shaking him as she repeated his name over and over, beseeching him to wake up. Daryl, thank God! She threw herself down over him, hugging him tightly. He tried to move, but failed for several seconds, instead leaning his head into her shoulder. He groped for more air and sat up while Beth helped him. He looked around them. They were outside the old building, which still burned. Outside the building were littered several twice-dead walkers. The two of them were hidden in the relative cover of some brush. Did you? he asked. She nodded casually. Of course, she replied matter-of-factly. I'm not leaving you, Daryl. Her eyes held his steadily, suddenly serious. I'll never leave you. As those familiar words left her lips, his breath caught in his throat. Her eyes had that same mischievous glint to them as she smiled. He smiled back, and his eyes stung as they welled up. You okay? He nodded carefully. Yeah, the head hurts something fierce. It did, but he didn't care. Come on, she said. We need to head back before more walkers show up. As they trudged back to Alexandria, covered in gore, he slipped his fingers through hers. Home. And we're back. 
Holy shit, you guys, I just- I just recorded the intro and I just looked at how long the intro is. It's like over 15 minutes. I'm so sorry. I don't think I'm gonna be able to keep music going for that long. I think it'll just become monotonous and annoying. We'll see what I do with it. Anyway, I'm sorry I talked so long. I'll try and not do that here. Oh god, oh god, I gotta shut up and leave. Thank you again for listening so much. I really hope you enjoyed that. I will be in touch again regarding what I end up doing with the format. Once more for the millionth time, if you have any opinion on this either way, please help me make my decision because I am so indecisive right now. I'm not sure what I'm going to be doing for the next interview episode. I have a couple of ideas. I'm going to line them up. Hopefully the scheduling all works out. Uh, I'm really looking forward to getting back to the interview format. Uh, That's been a lot of fun for me and I frankly miss doing it. If you guys have anybody you would like me to talk to, like if you have anybody specifically that you think, you know, it would be a cool thing to hear them have a conversation with me for an hour plus, please let me know that too. Uh, I'm, again, this is something that I really want you guys to enjoy. And if there's specific content that you would like to hear, uh, totally let me know. It does absolutely nothing but help me out. All right, I'm going to go ahead and get going. Hopefully I'll talk to you again in about two weeks. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Thank you guys so much. I appreciate you endlessly. Oh, and listen to Colin, if you haven't. It's great. Okay. I'll speak to you soon. Bye.